We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. Go. Brogdon for three. Let Got it. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks. Hibbert denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and has. Oh, wow. Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hands! Hands! This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. All right, Pacer Nation, welcome back. We are joined for another episode of Setting the Pace. I am your host, Mike Focci, today, and I am joined by recurring guest and host of the Punt Intended podcast, Rhett Bauer. Rhett, what's going on? Oh, I'm just excited to talk about some Pacers, including a really big piece of news that just dropped. Absolutely. Thank God we recorded this podcast when we did. Otherwise, we would have missed uh, a major announcement. But first, we are not joined by Alex Golden today as he is enjoying some much-needed time off in Disney World, I believe it is, or Disneyland. Either way, it's Disney. He's having a great time, but the show must go on. And Rhett, we just got a Woj bomb moments ago. Malcolm Brogdon and the Pacers have agreed to a brand new two-year, $45 million extension, making it now uh, four years, $89.3 million. So, Brett, today was the deadline, October 18th, for players with two years on their deal to work out an extension. Did you expect the Pacers to make a deal with anyone? Honestly, I didn't. I know I've been listening to Tony East talk about the possibility of it and why it might make sense for both sides. But if there was a deal to be had, I thought that Malcolm Brogdon was the prime candidate just because I don't think Miles Turner or TJ Warren is in a situation to really that the Pacers would want to strongly negotiate with because both of their futures kind of seem up in the air with the rest of this Pacers team. Absolutely. Karis LeVert was also eligible now for LeVert. 
I understand this is a guy that, you know, is coming off of a career year, uh, you know, no reason for him to really work out a brand new deal, but for Brogdon, I thought, Rhett, this is rare, but was this an agreed upon win-win by everybody? I went on Twitter and everyone's saying this is a steal, even non-Pacer fans. Think about it to put it in perspective for everybody. In 2022 to 2023, that will be Brogdon's final season under his initial four-year deal. He was slated to make $22.6 million. Well, after the brand new two-year extension, it averages out to $22.5 million. So essentially, actually a hair less than what he was going to make in his final uh, year coming up in two seasons. So I don't know how the Pacers will work that out salary-wise, but right now, I mean, to not receive a significant raise, this is a win-win for the Pacers. I think for Brogdon, it's, it's a win given, you know, maybe his minor injury history or, or call it a, a history of minor injuries. But I think right now this shows that the Pacers are committed to winning and Malcolm Brogdon, as Bobby Marks tweeted out, Brogdon is not eligible to be traded this season. What are your thoughts on that? I think the most interesting part is that his deal stayed flat. Tony East reported after listening to Woj talk about it, said that it's 22.5 for both of the years on the tail end. So like you said, it's a slight decrease of $100,000 a year off the back end of his initial deal. But a flat deal with the cap going up means that it's a discount. Like he's Mm -hmm. getting like, that's just a, that's a great deal for the Pacers. I think it's very, very interesting that this came out by the deadline because it does mean that he can't be traded for a guy like Ben Simmons. And I'm really interested to see what he does under Rick Carlisle, because very clearly they are wanting to see what he can do and wanting to stave off any of the rumors that seemed like they were coming out of the Philadelphia side of things about Brogdon being included for Simmons. I think that's a great point because like I mentioned that this shows the Pacers are committed to Brogdon. This really does. This says we have no interest in trading you and we're going to guarantee that. And that's what they do with this deal. A guy like Brogdon, I, I felt I, I've said it time and time again on this show. I feel like he's a hair under an all-star. He is a very good point guard. He might not be great or one of the elites, but this is a very good player. And quite frankly, they're not growing on trees as, as it relates to coming to Indiana. So I think that this is a great win for the Pacers over here to, you know, hopefully be able to keep this core together, but also show a commitment to winning. Now under Rick Carlisle, that's what we're all excited to see. Brogdon, once again, he does it every year. He says all the right things coming into the year. And this year he's mentioned he wants to lead more. Well, I think he's going to be led as well as the Pacers by a great leader in Rick Carlisle, but that's got to translate to winning and and we'll wait to determine that. But for right now, a guy, he only got to play in two preseason games. First game, not so great. Second game looked amazing. 12 of 14 shooting, had the shoulder injury, but the Pacers played it safe. Did you see enough out of Brogdon to just say, okay, we're going to be fine this year? I think we've seen enough from him, not just in preseason, but in the last couple of seasons, because a couple of times he's been the Pacers best player. Mm -hmm. Like it was the very first season with the Pacers. I thought Brogdon would have been the all-star nominee had he not gotten hurt. And then DeMontis Sabonis took that spot. And then obviously last year, Sabonis was just incredible under Bjorkren, but so was Malcolm Brogdon. And you don't find guys who score 20 points get about five rebounds, get almost six assists out there just growing on trees, especially when they shoot efficiently. So I'm I'm very excited to see what Brogdon does, and I'm definitely feeling comfortable with him as our point guard for the next 
three, four years. So, so do I. And at the, at the money wise, I mean, right. If the Pacers had signed him to a deal that maybe was starting at say like $30 million or more, then I think people would have started to say, man, I don't know if we're committing the money to the right guy. This was an absolute no brainer. Had to get it done. Hats off to the front office over here. Now the big question, is it safe to shut the door on a Ben Simmons to Indiana trade? Or do you think the Pacers can still have the pieces to make it work? They definitely still have pieces. It's just whether or not there's going to be a third team involved because it was always going to be seemed like two starters from the Pacers. But it's tough to do that when we have two bigs that don't really seem like they're going to be the future. And so adding Ben Simmons to that mix without sending a big out doesn't make any sense. I'm not convinced that the Pacers are really going to be involved with the Simmons trade, especially now, simply because they aren't going to have anything that the Sixers want or anything that a team with a borderline all-star player is going to want that would fit Philly. Yeah, it definitely complicates things. But at the same point, I think it's time that we start to really zone in on this team and stop imagining other pieces coming in. Because at some point, we just got to play basketball. And right, it's right around the corner. I mean, we are recording this on Monday. The Pacers open up their season on Wednesday. And at this point, you know, people are going down left and right. You got to work with what you have. So at this point, I just want to see the guys together before we blow it up and say, you know, what if that starting five could have just stayed on the court together? So at this point, I'm excited where it's good news in, in a time of a lot of little bad news going on with the injuries to have Brogdon locked up. I think this is a good day for Pacer fans going into the season. And we're going to be right back to talk about some of the latest injury updates that we've had. We'll be right back in one second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, everybody, we are back and we recently got some updates on some of the injuries. Rhett, I mentioned Pacers have been dropping like flies, but with the season approaching right around the corner, we got a little bit more clarity into um, the status of some of these players. Karis LeVert reported will miss the first four games of the season. So essentially the first week, I mean, there's three games in week one, but it's going to be basically from the start of the season on close to about a week. He's been doing five on zero drill, starting to get in there and practice. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's encouraging to see uh, four games missed for LeVert, you know, to start. What do you think? Is that a best case scenario right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm just hoping he comes back 100% healthy. I don't want any part of trying to rush him back, especially with Chris Duarte looking like he can handle a starter's load. I know it's preseason, but he still looks pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, he really does. I think Duarte has been one of the, the major highlights of the preseason. I think he surpassed expectations. We will touch more on uh, Chris Duarte a little later on. But TJ Warren, another CAT scan coming up. It's going to be about three weeks from now. That'll take us to early November you know, I looked at the schedule. It feels like a best case scenario for Warren would be at the earliest a mid-November return. But to be honest, I'm not holding my breath. I would not be surprised if TJ Warren missed all of November. I am no doctor, though. So my word is just as good as yours or anyone else's. But is, Lever- is uh, TJ Warren missing the first 20 games of the season kind of what you're expecting? Or are you a bit more of a glass half full guy? I am the glass is less than half full for me. It's not even about optimism. It's just, it's really tough to expect him to come back. And I've actually been for any sort of fantasy implications when it comes to drafts and just talking with people. It's like, I honestly would not be surprised if we didn't see him until 2022. Just, I know that doesn't match up with any timeline and I'm so far from a doctor don't have any information on what's going on, but It's going to be like he's been missing so many games that I think they're going to be very, very, very careful with him, especially because he already had a setback in the last couple of months. Exactly. Anyone that has listened to the front office talk about the team in general has heard so much TJ Warren praise. So why not take it, you know, very slowly with him? This is an 82 game season now, not a 72. Every game is yes, it counts, but it's a long season. You don't want Warren to break down and then potentially miss basically the last two seasons at that point. So I don't expect him to play in November. I know at this point you mentioned maybe 2022, the start of that. So it seems like we're agreeing on guys, forget about him for a month or so. Forget about him for maybe a month and a half. That's what we have to do. We have to move on. And that brings us to another starter that is out of man that logged, I believe it was 52 starts last year. In Justin Holiday, this man had he went from they said he couldn't really walk basically maybe about a week ago. And then he started to run, he started to jog a little bit. Well, he's been running lately. It seems like he's increasing his workload. This is a guy Rhett, who never misses games to injury. I respect it, but it now looks like Justin Holiday might miss the first game or two of the season. And when you're looking at that, do you think you know what? That's more than fine. I know Justin's gonna do everything to get back, but not be rushed back. Oh, I think Justin wants to rush back. I so think he, I. he's I very really proud do. of that Ironman streak, but yeah, especially with 
we just can't have him have a setback too because you know we're waiting on Warren and we know we're waiting on Lavert. Like I again, it's so early in the season, one or two games, even three games, four games, whatever it is, it's not gonna change the outlook of the team in the long term. And his health is gonna be very, very important if this team's gonna do anything. So I have no problem with him missing the first couple of games. Yeah, I, I really don't either. Look, it's Justin Holiday is obviously a vital piece to this team, but it's not like, a, you know, perhaps, a, you know, a Sabonis or a Brogdon where you really want to kind of rush him back. If he misses the two, you know, the first two games of the season, both on the road against Charlotte and Washington, makes his debut against Miami on Saturday, I, I think that's fine because there's no point in putting him into, you know, back to back against Washington and Miami. Maybe he irritates something. So, I think Saturday against Miami game three is kind of when I imagine he returns. But like I said, if I, I'd be living in a way different place. If I was a doctor right now, I'm not making the big bucks. So let's leave it up to those that are, but Brogdon and lamb, I fully expect to be ready for the start of the season. Lamb had the wrist injury. Brogdon had a shoulder injury. I think the Pacers did a good job keeping them out of the end of preseason. Uh, Are you thinking anything other than full goes for the best, both of them? No, definitely not. I agree with you. It's it's preseason. It's the last couple of games. If you get nicked up in practice, you hold them out, especially when it seemed like uh, the, everybody was doing the same thing for those last game or two. It, yeah, the preseason is one of those where you try and find value in what you can. And I think we found value in some of the younger guys because for Sabonis, if you're just going to look at numbers, I averaged 13 and a half points in the preseason. I'm not going to be alarmed by that. We're not playing them big minutes. We're not playing any of the starters big minutes. Some games, they didn't even play the second half at all. So I don't want to look into it. Or some games, they didn't play at all. So I want to look at the little things. And some of the little things is what we touched on before in Chris Duarte and Isaiah Jackson. I thought those two were either the biggest or some of the biggest bright spots for the Pacers. Duarte, they experimented with him in the starting lineup and do you see it any differently to start the season? I, if Karis Levert's out, no, absolutely not. Duarte should be in there, and and he looked good enough doing it. Jeremy Lamb also did look pretty good this mm-hmm. preseason, doing things that we brought him in here to do. So thankfully he's healthy. But if it comes down to it, I, I mean, Duarte's just looked too good to not have him out there with the starting group as, as far as I'm concerned. I completely agree. I think it's also uh, a big like treat for the fans to really be like, wow, now this is a draft pick where we wanted a, an immediate contributor. We obviously knew that he would be in the rotation, but to be in the starting lineup, even if injuries is what allowed it, it's going to get every Pacer fan excited because now we finally feel like we can sink our teeth into a draft pick and watch him grow. Isaiah Jackson, a guy that we thought a lot of people thought might not be in the rotation at all this year. Rhett, has he done enough to be like, hey, it might not be from game one, but we're going to see this guy sooner than later? It seems like it's been enough for the Pacers because they've had him in there ahead of O'Shea and Goga mm-hmm. almost every single game. So whether or not I think it's enough, it seems like they do, and that's really all that matters. But he has looked good. He does good things, and he is versatile. And for a player as young as he is, as raw as he is, he looks good. And getting him those NBA reps as early as possible can only help with his development. So I just appreciate that they're investing in him early, even if it does come at the expense of some guys that we do really like. And when you mentioned the expense of some guys that we like, you mentioned, you know, O'Shea, you mentioned Goga. 
Now, look, people have mixed feelings on Goga, but this was someone who really struggled in his first three preseason games. I think we were all worried. It was a major boost of confidence to see Goga in game four put up 18 points on six of 10 shooting and four of seven from three. Now, he also had three blocks and six rebounds. All overall, I felt like once the starters were done in the second half, it was it felt like all Goga, or at least from a, a positive standpoint. It felt like that's really what we were seeing. Just to put it in perspective, Goga had been two of 10 from three before that game and two of 12 overall in preseason. It was alarming. Rhett, what did that game four do uh, in terms of your confidence level in Goga? I've never not had confidence in Goga. It's just about opportunity for him. And people were all over the place during his preseason about what the Pacers should do about him. Even somebody said that we should cut him to try and make a roster spot, which made absolutely no sense to me. Um, But yeah, it's just about opportunity. He's been so he's been given such an inconsistent role and part of it has been injury. So I don't know what you can expect from a guy who just hasn't been able to get his feet under him. And so that preseason game showed what he can do because I think we've all talked about it is that Goga has the best looking three point shot of any mm-hmm. of the bigs. It just never goes in. It yes. seems like, so I was really encouraged to see that he can do the things that we thought he could do, even though it was in a pretty meaningless preseason game, it's still nice to see that he is capable of the things that had us so excited about him in the first place. I, I think Goga needed that game. I think more than anybody, because that's someone where I think it was starting to wear on him. He had a quote. He said, um, well, uh, Goga basically, okay, so Rick Carlisle said this. I really liked the way Goga played. He was aggressive. He was forceful. He was a factor at both ends. He stepped into his shots with decisiveness and aggression, and he pe- protected the rim and rebounded. I thought that that was a great way to put it because uh, Goga was probably in the biggest need of a confidence boost out of anyone. He, he This is a quote from Goga. Definitely, it's hard. I'm not going to lie. When you don't know when you're going to get in the game, uh, but you've got to stay professional. It's the NBA. Whenever you get the chance, you've got to stay ready. Now, you mentioned that chances, they've been hard to come by. Koga last year, I believe, averaged roughly nine minutes per game. It's not like he's getting nine straight minutes. So you're getting, you know, roughly two different stints to to make it happen. And, and a lot could be, um, a lot could go wrong, whether it's, it's, it's one make or one miss. It kind of sways your confidence level in him of, Oh, well, you know, he, he, he ran a rough three-point look. I don't know if he's ready. But if he makes one, you start to say, why aren't we playing Goga more? So uh, right now, I feel like Goga needs to have that opportunity, at least to start the season, before the Pacers just bypass him. Because this is a big year for Goga. Year three, I mean, throw out the excuses from before. We got to know, are, are you ready to contribute on a consistent basis? And from a shot-blocking standpoint, I feel like he's been consistent from an offensive game standpoint, haven't seen it as much. So do you think that to start the season, Goga is going to have more of a consistent role, or is this kind of going to be still what we've seen in the past? I think it's going to be a consistent role in that he's not going to have much of a role, which is awful because like, it's just squandering a first round pick that we haven't been able to see because we're still playing Turbonus, which is fine. Turbonus is obviously better than Goga, like either one of them, but it does like at a certain point, like where, where is Goga going to get in, especially if they have Isaiah Jackson that high up into the rotation. So 
I hope that Goga can have some opportunity, but when I built out a rotation, just trying to figure it out, like the most that you can get Goga is about 10 minutes. And even that is playing the starters a little bit less. And that's even less than he played last year. So I, man, I'm not saying free Goga, but it, it definitely seems like he is going to struggle to have a big enough role this year to show what he can do. It seems tough. Isaiah Jackson, I feel like, has kind of been breathing down his neck for a little bit more minutes. I mean, this is a guy that we know the three-point shot is going to come one day, but we just saw him go two for four the other night. So that's a great sign. We know he can block shots. He can finish lobs. He could score in the paint. So I feel like Gogan needs to have that opportunity over Isaiah Jackson. Otherwise, Isaiah Jackson is going to be able to struggle and still learn. Everyone will be fine with it. But if Goga struggles a little bit, I really do think the fan base is going to be coming for him. So you you don't want to see that for anyone. O'Shea Brissett, we talked about him before. Man, I don't if there's one player that you wanted to see more out of that I think kind of failed to deliver, it might have been O'Shea. What were your thoughts on O'Shea's struggles this preseason? He came out guns a blazing every time he got yeah. on the floor and that's what he was doing in preseason too, except in preseason, he was going to the rim, finishing well, getting to the free throw line. He was still putting up a lot of shots and that might've been why they kept him out. But I, I'm very disappointed. I shouldn't say disappointed. That's not a right word. Cause if OJ, it's Isaiah Jackson deserves those minutes and looks as good as he, he can, then okay. It makes sense. You've way more invested in Isaiah, but I was very, very excited for what O'Shea could do this year trying to see if last year was real because it was still kind of a small sample size and I'm not sure we're going to be able to get that that's another guy him and Goga I'm just not sure what sort of opportunity they're going to get unfortunately and O'Shea we will always remember how the end of last year when everyone was so excited to find a diamond in a rough in what looked like one of the darkest chapters in, in recent Pacer memory the last few years when nothing was going right, O'Shea was someone from a 10-day contract that really earned every single dollar he got. So we'll always be rooting for him. I really hope that he has a you know, a good opportunity this year to contribute uh, outside of just people being hurt because everyone's rooting for him. So Keelan Martin, kind of the last guy who's banged up, uh, um, also on a non-guaranteed deal. Do you think it would be super beneficial for Keelan Martin to be healthy and available by game one, or does it really not make that much of a difference due to his spot in the rotation? I'm not sure it makes that much of a difference one way or another. I know Keelan Martin does play on the wing, but it kind of seems like a lot of money for a guy who's like your 13th, 14th man. And I know it's not very much in the grand scheme of the NBA salary cap, but still a non-guaranteed deal does allow the Pacers some flexibility to shave off a little bit at the top for some incentives later on if some guys have very good seasons. But I'm not sure if it would be beneficial to keep him around just in case somebody else gets hurt. Because if somebody else gets hurt, then the season's kind of lost as it is. You know what I mean? No, absolutely true. Now, man, I mean, this is someone where do you think the Pacers would would move his guarantee day back at all? I know they, they had moved it a few times. One point it was going to be uh, due at the start of the NBA season. I believe that where it might be right now. Do you see that changing at all? I mean, I, I listened to Tony talk about it, and so it definitely made sense for for both sides to do it because Keelan gets paid every day that he is on the team. Versus if he just gets cut right now, he can maybe find another opportunity somewhere else, but he doesn't get that that money prorated. So it kind of is a little bit 
beneficial for both sides to keep him on there, especially with the uncertainty with TJ Warren, possibly even Karis LeVert, and, and then Justin Holiday should be fine. But yeah, I would probably move his guarantee about guarantee date back just to just to have some extra flexibility on both sides. It, it feels something. Ine- it feels inevitable. I know we're, while we're recording this on ten eighteen, his contract becomes guaranteed on the nineteenth. So. We'll be, uh, you know, staying tuned for that. That'll be the kind of the next update. So, like you mentioned before, it's basically having a job is always going to be more beneficial than not having a job. So, no one wants to give up money. I don't think Hewlett Martin's in a spot where he could just say, "Hey, I got five to ten other teams that want me right now." So, I'm rooting for him. I always will, but I'm also, you know, rooting for the Pacers in general with whatever they have to do that's best for the team. Now, being best for the team takes us over to some of the moves that happened on Friday. Keeper Sykes was waived, Terry Taylor was waived, and Nate Hinton. Now, I don't think that came as a surprise to anybody. Those of you that listen to Setting the Pace know Keeper Sykes came on this show, so I will always root for him. But you have to do what makes sense for the team. Was there any surprises in that group for you? No, I don't think so. It was pretty straightforward the only considerations were the keelan martin side of things where his guarantee date could meant that they cut him save some money and keep somebody like hinton or sykes but no there weren't any surprises it 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 was it was kind of just going to happen that way with the way that this roster is built yep no it, it definitely seems that way and then uh since it is a business the pacers then immediately signed and waived Justin Anderson, former um, Dallas Maverick, as well as for a few other teams, guy who actually has 220 games of NBA experience. Benny Boatwright, who was with the Pacers in Summer League, and Derek Culver, actually someone I hold uh, close to myself, being a West Virginia Mountaineer. I saw just about every game Culver's played in his uh, college career. Someone who I hope would have returned this year, could have been one of the best big men in the Big 12, but that would have been due to being a senior. Now he ended up going into the draft, getting undrafted, They were immediately waived, so the Pacers do hold their rights for the G League. Um, So that'll be interesting to see if they ever suit up for the Mad Ants. But I don't envision Derek Culver or Benny Boatwright ever actually logging minutes for the Pacers. Justin Anderson, who knows? You don't want to rule it out being a former first-round pick. Did you like any of those moves as they were very, very low-risk moves? Extremely low risk. And like you said, if they do have a role on this team, then we've got much bigger concerns than what those guys can do yes. on the court because that is that is extremely far down the depth chart. But no, it's always interesting to see some pretty high-level swings like that to, to see what they can do over with the Mad Ants. I'm always a fan of taking a low-risk flyer on a first-round pick. You know, a, 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 even a former first-round pick, essentially. Justin Anderson, look... If Carl has familiarity with him, that's all I need to hear. He knows his game far better than we'll know it. And for a low risk playing for the Mad Ants, why not? Look, in recent memory, we've seen guys like Brian Bowen suit up for the Pacers. So I, I, I give me Justin Anderson over Brian Bowen any day. Uh, now for the, for the rest of uh, the moves, the Pacers end up, they keep their two-way guys, Dejan Giroux and Dwayne Washington, Look, I don't think any guy really blew you away, but I think that they earned the right to stay on the team over Kiefer Sykes, Nate Hinton, Terry Taylor, those guys. Was there What were your thoughts on their performances in preseason? I kind of liked Jarreau. 
And it's nice to see that the Pacers are prioritizing some bigger players in that regard because of how iffy things got towards the end of last season before we found O'Shea. And it it is a bummer for guys like Sykes, but Brad Wanamaker coming in really kind of put the nail in the coffin there. So again, hopefully they don't have huge roles, but it is nice having some guys that showed some things in preseason at the tail end of the roster. Exactly. Look, if you're ever going to go by just a box score standpoint, you're never going to see the value there between those two guys because no one really did blow you away. I mean, in preseason, you're talking about Juro average, just under three points per game. Um, and then Dwayne Washington, I did think shot the ball better, averaged five points per game, 45% shooting. We actually didn't get to see that three-point shooting that we saw in summer league, but for a two-way deal, I, once again, I, I don't want to be the guy who's just you know, bashing a Brian Bowen or a Mita Brima of the past, but uh, give me these two guys over those any day. I, I, I trust these a little bit more, plus uh, both guys also. You know, they're true rookies. They're not older like Kiefer Sykes, who is, you know, I believe he was about 28 and undersized. So like you mentioned, we're getting a little bit bigger over here. Uh, and those two guys, low risk. You know what? Why not? Let's just see what happens. Uh, so as preseason wrapped up, Chris Duarte led us in total points with 55. Average just under 14 points per game. A little rough shooting in the last game, but still for preseason, shot a hair under 45%. Did you really need to see more out of Duarte? No, definitely not. He, I think I was on with you, with Alex, and was talking about being hesitant about this pick because I've just, he's just old, but he's old, which means he can play because he did, he did a lot of great things. So I'm really excited to see what Duarte does moving forward and seeing if he can continue that sort of aggressiveness, but also like, He wasn't so aggressive that he was just chucking up shots no matter what. He was passing up some shots to move the ball around and play as a teammate, which I think is going to be really, really important, especially as he stays in that starting lineup to start the season with the rest of those uh, players that are clearly better than him in Sabonis, Brogdon, and and, and Miles. Definitely. Alex and I talked about it, how we love how he can be the fifth option with the, the starters or, you know, for a couple of games, I mean, I, give me maybe make him a fourth option if Tory Craig is in there because look, Craig was not signed for his offense. But I also maybe this is just me. You get the feeling that Tory Craig, now that he got a little bit more money, was thinking I would have a bigger role. Let me try and take on a little bit more responsibility. We saw him dribble the ball a lot more, put up a, a good amount of threes. I mean, for a guy who was never really averaging more than roughly I think it was two threes per game in the past. Had some games where I believe he put up, you know, five to seven threes. So uh, I feel like give me Duarte as the fourth option with the starters over um, uh, Torrey Craig for a limited opportunity. But right now, I think Chris Duarte is in a perfect spot right now. And what are your expectations for Torrey Craig in this starting lineup? It was really weird. They It seemed like they were intentionally having Torrey Craig run offense, it which is there's a lot of things that could have gone weirdly in preseason and I could have guessed a hundred of them and not gotten to Tory Craig pick and rolls. So, I mean, it's nice to see them using guys in different roles to see what happens, but I really hope that that was kind of the extent of the Tory Craig experience and we can, uh, and, and we can just put guys in their maximized role, try and win some games with how decimated we seem to be on the wing. Like, I don't think you can, you can be experimenting too much while you're, while you're down a couple starters. Exactly. I think Torrey Craig has a big opportunity from a defensive standpoint. 
guarding some wings over here that the Pacers got killed by in the past. So that's what I'm excited to see. But if, if he even goes scoreless in games, I don't care if he brings it on the defensive end of things. Now, moving back over to the offensive end of things, we saw the Pacers average 38 threes per game in preseason. I know it sounds like a lot, but one of those games against Memphis, they actually only shot 25 threes. So at one point, you know, we saw games with Pacers. I think it was back, two games out of four. They shot 44 threes. So right, it sounds like a lot, but I dove into it and I looked at it. Last year, the Dallas Mavericks averaged 38.1 three-pointers per game. So they were exactly on that same pace, even though it's a small sample size. That ranked sixth in the league, while the Pacers ranked 17th. The 38 threes per game. Is this something you expect to see this season? And it's a two-parter with not having guys like McBuckets and TJ Warren, who has shot well from three. Do the Pacers have the players to keep up with those attempts? It's funny because I think we talked about this last year too after the Bjorkren preseason because they were shooting 40-something threes a game and then we saw none of that when it came to the regular Mm -hmm. season. Obviously, Carlisle does have the experience with Dallas to to fall back on to where it does seem like the Pacers will be taking some more threes. And your point about not having guys like McDermott and Warren out there shooting – is a pretty good one because you can put up a bunch of threes and it probably still makes sense on a point per possession if you want to get super nerdy with it. But I would be surprised if they kept just putting them up at like 32%. You know, like if the if the shots aren't going down and people aren't making them, then it starts to be a question of whether that's the best way to run the offense. So, so it'll be something that I'm definitely watching for early on in the season, just trying to get a feel for whether Carlisle will adjust to the personnel or whether he's just going to trust these guys to knock down shots. You know, it's very interesting that you mentioned at shooting roughly 32% because I started diving into it, right? And I saw Demonte Sabonis is taking more threes. TJ McConnell's taking more threes. And this is just for preseason. But then you look at it. Those are guys that both shot right around 32 to 33%. Uh, Even Miles Turner, Miles Turner, a guy that collectively Sabonis, McConnell, Turner, they all shot under 34% from three last year. So where are these extra makes going to come from? That's what I'm wondering. We don't know what Duarte is going to be like come the regular season from at least a three-point perspective. But I don't know if the Pacers have 38 attempts in them to match, also have the accuracy to back it up. So like you mentioned before, with Bjork, we saw a lot of threes in the preseason. I want to say it might have even been around like 42 threes per game in the preseason last year. It was alarming. but uh, I feel like this year we, we've heard through various reports, you know, you don't want to reveal your full hand in the preseason. So maybe the Pacers have other things planned. Do you think that's kind of Carlisle keeping it a little bit close to the chest as we're not going to show you everything? Yeah, for sure. I don't think the preseason was them um, like conveying to the league that this is what they're going to be doing. I think it was more about, testing some things and and just seeing what worked without making it sort of a sort of like a prediction of what is to come for this regular season. There's, I feel like they have a lot of things that are probably going on behind the scenes that, that we won't even know about until we see them for the first time in the regular season. Yep. So, I mean, to start the season, look, the Pacers are not where they want to be in terms of a body standpoint, but you got to go into the season with what you have, You can't make excuses. It is what it is. So to start the the season, you know, the Pacers are going to be without TJ Warren. They will be without 
you know, Karis LeVert, most likely without Justin Holiday. From there, you hope everyone else is good to go. But they have a few games this week. The Pacers open up against Charlotte on the road, against Washington on the road. Rhett, I will actually be at that game. I am so excited. I will be at the game in D.C. First time getting to see the Pacers live in about two years due to COVID. Uh, so very excited for that. Um, and then they also have the opener against Miami. And I want to say they also have a game on Sunday. So the Pacers open up with that first week of games. What are your, what are your expectations? It's going to be tough to expect good things from a team that's missing as many key players as they are, but I'm just expecting to see just more Christmas because it seemed like in the, in the preseason you know, you're not playing your starters that much. So that kind of might uh, taint some things, but I just want to see some good, some good basketball from that matters. So I don't really know as far as a record goes, I don't know what they're going to be. It's, it's tough to see them winning against teams like Miami who has title hopes. And then a team like Charlotte who got a little bit better and, and, and made some, made some pretty good jumps last year. So I'm just looking for some good basketball. I think uh, expectations should be kind of low right now for wins, even though uh, obviously we'll still be rooting for it. Of course. Now, look, the Pacers last year started 3-0. and It got easy to get carried away. I mean, we started thinking, you know what? Maybe we're actually going to be all right. And then after the next game, T.J. Warren went down. And, well, the Pacers started to lose a good amount. I don't remember how many straight they lost, but I believe they went from 3-0 and to – at least three and three. Uh, so things can happen pretty quickly. If the Pacers open up the season 0 and 3, I will not, you know, be thinking the sky is falling. I will look at it from a glass half full perspective of we're either getting Justin Holiday back or he just came back. Karis Levert is returning right away. And from there, you know what, TJ Warren, I want to kind of be, you know, I want to forget about for a little bit. I don't want to be doing what we did last year. Every single Pacer podcast was saying, wait until we get TJ Warren back. Wait until we get TJ Warren. It, it didn't happen. So we got to just focus on what we can focus on. Charlotte, it's going to be tough. I mean, this is a team that's on the rise. Washington, really don't know what to expect. Miami, I think we're both in agreement there. That game is going to be a bit tough. Miami kind of loaded up this offseason. And, well, our big move was bringing in Rick Carlisle. So it's a little bit different. So uh, if the Pacers go 0-3, guys, please, the sky is not falling. You got to know help is on the way. Especially uh, when last year they started 3-1, and 4-1. and one. Yeah. So, like, well, let's, let's keep that in mind exactly. when, we, when we try to overreact after four or five games. Life comes, life comes at you real quick. I mean, we saw Washington, for instance, one of the teams that we're going to be playing. They started the season. They were horrible. They got wrecked by COVID, and then towards the end of the year, at one point, I think they were like, I mean, they they must have wanted, could have been like 20 out of 26, whatever it was, they were on fire. So anyone can go, basketball is a game of runs. It always has been. Pacers can go on a run to start the season. They can go on a run in the middle of the season. It could be any time, but do not fear if things don't go right, right away. I mean, Charlotte, that's a team that the Pacers walked all over in the play-in game and then got walked all over by Washington in the next game. So you know, life comes at you quick. Just be ready for it. Is there any last things that you would like to cover before we wrap up? 
I don't think so. I just want to watch some basketball. I, I could not be more excited to finally have this season started after what seems like an off season that's been forever, especially since last year just didn't count. And it's removed from my memory. So, Oh, yeah. I don't remember a thing that happened last year. All I remember is everything that happened since summer league and preseason. The records in between did not matter, but what we saw in between I thought was you know a bit encouraging at times, like we mentioned the rookies, but the real thing is nearly upon us. So after a few little uh, teasers in summer league and preseason, uh, we are just, we are roughly 48 hours from playing the Charlotte Hornets. Could not be more excited, but Rhett, as we sign off, tell everybody what you have going on and where they could find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer and I do host a dynasty fantasy basketball podcast called punt intended for hoop-ball.com. We have a lot of fun over there talking about the long-term perspective for guys from a fantasy lens, put out a bunch of rankings, a couple articles, stuff like that. So go give me a follow there. Check out some of that stuff. It's, I think it's pretty good. It's really interesting and not a lot of people know about it. So might, might even learn something to be good for you. Hey, if you can learn something every day, that is a great day. Red, I definitely appreciate you joining and uh, look forward to having you back on. I, as always, you are one of our one of our main recurring guests. I couldn't thank you more than that. So I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Fauci. Right, let's go Pacers. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed having Rhett on again. Always great to chat with him. Someone who's very knowledgeable on everything Indiana Pacers and NBA related. But uh, guys, I could not be more excited for this upcoming season. Look, I know we got some rough injuries our way. It is what it is. What are you going to do about it other than just keep moving on? We're not going to complain. That's not going to bring anyone back to the the court sooner. And all right, maybe a lot. We're going to complain a little bit. But also want to apologize for my voice. I had my bachelor party over the weekend. I was in Nashville with 17 of my uh, closest friends. I know that sounds like a ridiculous statement, but hey, lucky to have a good group around me. It was an awesome time. Even got to, you know, turn back the clocks and play uh, play some five on five with all my friends. We had a tournament going on. So there was a lot of smack talking and my voice is absolutely gone, but I appreciate you making it this far in the episode. And I uh, wanted to let you guys know where you can find us on social media. You can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You could find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I could be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You could find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. And you can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And if you are as excited as I am to see Chris Duarte in the starting line to start the season or just to see the Pacers back in general, I got to hit you with these three words. Let's go Pacers.